Welcome to the Manor. Welcome to the Twin Tears Macabre Manor, Mead, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm James. And I'm Jody. And today we're going to talk about a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic band that more people really should know about. Like, way more people. Because they don't yes. get the credit they deserve, I, I think. I will somewhat agree with you. <laughs> so as Jody and most of my friends will attest to, I tend to get involved in things that, that aren't quite as popular or well-known that a lot of people do. I mean, there, there are many reasons for this. Uh, partially because you find out about different things because you have older brothers who are into them that your own people don't, you know, your own friends uh, of your own age don't really know about when you have older siblings. But no doubt part of it is because right. I, I do like knowing things that other people don't because I'm an ass. <laughs> <sighs> yes, I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah. So for example, uh, Halloween is my favorite metal band. I, mean, I, I think they're fairly well known around the world, just not here in the States quite as yes. well. But they are a fine metal band. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, in fact, I'll probably do an episode on them. I'm a little surprised you didn't do that one first. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> I, well, so Jody and I have talked about the heavy metal podcast that we were doing. I actually had a lot of notes written up for them because of the time we were getting to. And Halloween was still 20 years later. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so while I have a lot of their information, it hadn't been written down. So. So I've mentioned that I, I picked up on this particular band, even from my brothers. Uh, so my, I've got three older brothers who were into a lot of different rock and a lot of different things. So I, I would listen to their eight tracks. That's how old they and, and I am. And, yeah. their, <laughs> and their cassettes and not so much CDs, but the records. Uh, CDs didn't come out until they, they already moved out of the house. Now, so they listen to popular groups like ACDC and Queen and Ozzy Osbourne. And those three bands, especially Queen and Ozzy, I got into a lot because of them. And I just like their style. Uh, but the other one, uh, I'm going to not say yet. I'm instead going to kind of backtrack a little bit into the history of music for a few moments, because that's what we're here for. Bore everybody with stupid shit. <laughs> um, it'll, it'll give some context. Context! Take a drink. Oh, I am. Mm. Oh, barley wine. How I love thee. I'm, I'm actually trying the uh, Sam Adams pine lager. Yeah, how do you like it? It's pretty good. Yeah, so anyway, I'm going to backtrack a little bit into history, and I'm going to mention a type of music called bubblegum pop. And bubblegum pop, what it is, is if, if you're into metal, rap, or hip-hop, or, you know, some of the heavier things, you're probably not going to like it. Bubblegum pop today would be, you know, pop. It's just boy bands or, or whatever. But bubblegum pop, well, it's upbeat, and uh, I've, I've seen it defined as upbeat and contrived music. <laughs> so that's, that's yeah, good. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming contrived in a way of uh, that they have a formula and they put this formula through because this formula has the hooks and the beat and the upbeatness to it that will get young children, teens and preteens, into it. And yeah. one of the maybe better known... Uh, bubblegum pops from the first wave of bubblegum pop would be the Archies, uh, the, yes. the band based on the, the comic book characters. Their song Sugar Sugar was, I, I don't know if it's their greatest hit, but my brothers had that on 45, so I listened to it. I, yeah, I don't know about greatest, but well, I mean, I, that's probably about the only song of theirs I know. But you do have a few people who made a transition, and the band I'm going to talk about ended up transitioning into glam rock. And glam rock is so, so glam rock is characterized by flamboyant clothing and makeup and stage personas. You can think of David Bowie as glam rock. And I, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. Yeah. Ziggy Stardust. Yeah. Uh, persona is definitely glam. Um, and, and then, of course, you have glam metal later in the 80s, uh, mm -hmm. which is 
sadly, the, the best played metal that I've ever had anywhere in the, the U.S. was glam instead of some of the better stuff. But yeah. That's okay. What are you going to do? Gary Glitter was another glam rocker from that early era. Yeah, I, I always forget about him, and, and I do know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I just, for, for the most part, out, outside of, what was it, Rock and Roll Part 1, you'd hear that, it's like sporting events. So, you've got this, this conjunction in this particular band of bubblegum pop going into glam rock, and this band, I picked up on because I, I listened to my brother's cassette, and this first cassette I listened to was Desolation Boulevard. For all of you who know the album Desolation Boulevard, you've probably picked up already on the band I'm going to talk about, which is The Sweet. Sweet! Yay! <laughs> so, Sweet were Brian Connolly, the vocalist from Scotland, Steve Priest from Middlesex on bass, uh, Andy Scott from Wales, the guitarist, and Mick Tucker, the drummer, uh, from London. Uh, that oh. doesn't sound quite as cool for some reason, but London <laughs> has some really neat... Uh, see, here we go tangentializing again. Uh. Edith Wallace. Just... <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's London beat, Mercy beat, <laughs> a lot of different places in England have these different beats. And London had a really good one that we'll talk about someday. Yes. So anyway, to put in with the first bit of bubblegum pop, a lot of their hits were written by producers Nikki Chin and Mike Chapman. Uh, you may have seen Chin Chap Productions or Chin Chap Writing. Um, and the suite actually weren't even allowed to play their own instruments at first. Uh, they would do the singing, the vocals, uh, until they realized that they were actually better musicians than the studio musicians. And they were allowed to play their songs. Kind of like the monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever it was. And the, the suite actually did not care for this arrangement because they wanted to write their own music. They wanted to have their own music played. And in fact, according to Stephen Priest, Mike Chapman could write what sounded like his songs. Uh, but Nikki was brought up in a private boy school and didn't know his arse from his elbow. <laughs> <laughs> they started with bubblegum pop. And, and as they, they kind of just naturally went into glam rock their look didn't change a whole lot they were in that first round of glam musicians which you could include uh david bowie uh mark boland i know t-rex did bang a gong get it on that yeah which was a hit for the power station in the 80s that was the first time i actually heard it huh oh my gosh you have no idea what's in my notes but they're gonna come up later <laughs> are they are they really yes yes they well, are i won't say any more about them well, yeah, wait, wait till then, but yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. The sweet. <laughs> yeah. So getting back to sweet. <laughs> they, they were technically rivals. <laughs> I, I did see what you did there. So they were rivals with, with David Bowie and Mark Bull and T-Rex and Slade. Most yeah, people didn't quite write it. Uh, so quite right did Mama, We're All Crazy Now and Come On, Feel the Noise, covered yeah. from the Slade songs, and Slade kicks ass. Yes, but when they were around, they would help each other with makeup. David Bowie would actually be in the dressing room while the girls were putting girls were putting the makeup on the guys in suite. And David Bowie's like, you need to put more on there. There's more makeup. Put more on the eyes. <laughs> I, you know, I could almost see Bowie doing that. Um. <laughs> and part of this glam part, the, the glam rock thing, was, of course, the clothing. So to go along with the makeup, uh, they wore very flamboyant outfits. And Mick actually wore red tights with a Nazi uniform as part of his getup every once in a while. And, and people would ask him, do people always want to know? And this is a quote, people always want, want to know if I was serious. I mean, a gay Hitler? Hello! <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's just how, kind of the background of, of the type of music they played. They actually started as a band called Wayne 
rights gentlemen. I always screw it up when I say it. I always say Wayne's rights, and it's just Wayne rights gentlemen, and they were a soul band. Starting at this point, um, I've kind of talked about what they were and who they were. Some of the neat things about this is that hardly anybody knows who the Sweet are. They are associated with a lot of people who actually are either famous or associated with people who are associated with people famous. It's kind of like that seven degrees of Kevin Bacon thing. So they uh, started Wayne, Wayne Wright's Gentleman. Uh, it's a soul band with Connolly and Tucker. Frank Torpe was actually the original guitarist of the suite before Andy Scott came in. And he was also in The Gentleman, but he was let go. So the bass player's friend could join the band. Uh, but that Brian and Mick didn't really care for that much. So they left and they founded the suite shop, had Frank Torpe join them too. And then they finalized their lineup uh, February 5th, 1968 with Steve. They, they had to change their name because there's another band already out there called The Sweet Shop. And they decided to go with Sweet because it made it really change, easy to change documents and shirts and flyers and everything else just by taking a marker and scribbling off the shop. <laughs> Connolly did explain that the band name was also in relation to other bands at the time. You had Strawberry Jam, Marmalade, Orange Bicycle, Tangerine oh, Peel, yeah. uh, Clockwork Orange, uh, actually named after the, the movie and book. So yep. to sum them all up, they thought, eh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and here's where we actually get to see some of the connections. And I'm going to start with Frank Torpe, even though he's not in the suite when he does some of this, but he left them in July 69. And he went on to play with musicians such as Screaming Lord Such, who we mentioned in our Corpse Paint episode. He played with Dennis Cohen, which the name may not be familiar, but he was in the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. They're a psychedelic avant pop band. Oh, avant pop. Oh, Duchess. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they formed an English art scene that we talked about when we did the Cultural Watershed 60s with Monty Python and Zeppelin. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So they, they formed it this time, but they played their music in a British television show called Do Not Adjust Your Set which was a springboard for future, future Python players, Terry Jones, Michael Palin, and Eric Idle, and they had animated sketches by Terry Gilliam. Yes. Okay. So there's a Monty Python connection with the suite, although it was an ex-guitarist playing with somebody who was in the band who played in the Do Not Adjust Your Set, which was a precursor to Monty Python. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping back just for a brief moment, too, because this is really neat, I think, uh, Wainwright's gentleman there's a former band member who Connolly took over for. So vocals, Connolly was in the band left before he was the vocalist. The vocalist was Ian Gillen. Really? Really. Ian Gillen was in Wainwright's Gentleman for a while, and then he left. You know, for those who don't know, eventually went on to be in Deep Purple and Black Sabbath. Uh, so since we're talking about Torpe, uh, he left again in July 69, was replaced by Mick Stewart later that year. But Stewart quit, and just after Stewart quits, that's where the band meets Chin and Chapman, and they record their first single, Funny Funny. Ever since you came my way, I knew it was my lucky day. The sun started shining when you started smiling, and I know it's gonna stay that way. And it's so funny, funny what you do. And this is their bubblegum time. So Will, a little Willie, funny, funny. I'm trying to think of a few others offhand. Alexander Graham Bell, uh, Papa Joe, which is actually one of my favorite songs of theirs, even though it's very bubblegum popish. I I love it. It's great. Yes. Papa Joe comes to town for 
those coconut rain licking all that pain Drink it till the sun goes down Papa Joe just smiles politely With the money he takes he might be Very rich one day as he hears him say Yeah, yeah, yeah Papa Rumble, Rumble, hey Papa Joe Coconut, Papa Joe, hey Papa Joe Papa Rumble, Rumble, hey Papa Joe But they record Funny Funny in 1970, and Andy Scott joins soon after. Although, if you listen to Andy's side of the story, he insists he was there at the time. Uh, but no. <laughs> I've, I've seen too many timelines where he wasn't quite there yet when they recorded Funny Funny. At this time, Funny Funny, remember, was just the three guys, because Andy wasn't there yet, singing and studio musicians playing the music. But another connection, Andy right before he started with the suite, had been playing with a band called The Scaffold with musician Mike McGear. And Mike McGear's real name is Mike McCartney, whose yeah. brother Paul McCartney is slightly better known. Who? The Beatles, <laughs> not the Who. <sighs> Keep telling you, that's a completely different band. <laughs> no, I had, I had to, yeah. Um, sorry, I had to do that. Paul McCartney and I shared the same birthday, so... <laughs> knew there was something about you. I didn't know. <laughs> when he's trying out for the suite, he's also at the same time trying out for a band, Alan Brown set, which the vocalist was Robert Palmer, who's better known for his work, his solo work, at what, for example, Addicted to Love and the power station that Jody mentioned earlier, <laughs> whose, whose biggest hit was Some Like a Hot. Yes. But they had and also covered T-Rex's Bang a Gong. Get it on. Yeah, and their guitarist was Andy something something. For, it was it was it was the guitarist from Duran Duran. Oh, okay. I yeah, I wouldn't know his name to save my life, but I know I, who Duran Duran is. Uh, one of Andy's earlier bands had also. Uh, I can't find the band name, but it does mention that one of his earlier bands had even supported Jimi Hendrix a few times. So there's another connection. Huh. Cool. <laughs> yeah you almost said sweet I, I almost did and intentionally decided not to <laughs> <laughs> so some of their albums they, they did sweet fanny adams in 74 which was a gold record in the uk uh, that had some of their bubblegum songs on it uh, sweet fanny adams by the way uh, there's a song they also do called sweet fa um, uh -huh. and sweet fanny adams is a nice way fanny adams of fa comes from the british royal navy term for fuck all there was also a band called fanny adams Australia and New Zealand in the mid-1970. Mid Fanny Adams was a murder victim? Wait, what? <laughs> I've heard that too. I, I, if that has anything to do with the Sweet Song, it's nothing I've ever read. Oh, no, and, I doubt it's got anything to do with the song. Uh, in 74, also, they, they put out an album called Desolation Boulevard, which was their big U.S. album that a, a lot of people know. Uh, but there was a U.K. and U.S. version, like we'd mentioned. Uh, went silver in the U.K., gold in the U.S. and Canada. And then in 76... They put out an album called Give Us a Wink, and it was recorded at Musicland Studios in Germany. Fun part, they recorded it just after the Rolling Stones had been there and finished up It's Only Rock and Roll. They left right before Zeppelin and Deep Purple had come in to record their albums. Huh. So it's, they were huge at the time. I mean, people of our oh, yeah. generation don't, don't know them very well, but at the time they were amazingly doing quite well. Uh, my next note here actually is more, but the sound was changing. They, when I, when I, after Give Us a Wink, I don't actually listen to a lot of their music because I don't care for it. It became a little disco-ish at the time. 
and moved away from yes. some of their heavier things, but there's, they still had some heavy songs. I do like Love is Like Oxygen, which came out much later. That's a, that's a good song. I enjoy that. Yeah, and, and everybody should. <laughs> <laughs> but they did have a lot of singles. Their first single mentioned earlier was Funny Funny, out in 71. Uh, Papa Joe, I mentioned, is one of my favorite from the Bubblegum era in 72. Hit Silver in the UK. Little Willie, we talked about, came out in 72. Gold in the UK mm-hmm. and US. Uh, Wigwam Bam was uh, one of their singles. And, and Jody and I know this one quite well because our post-high school band played the song. <laughs> Just, yeah, uh, the lyrics aren't necessarily politically correct. but uh, No, it's about Native American love. Yes, love. <laughs> okay, it's about Native Americans getting it on. <laughs> Too much about a mini ha ha and heart and touch till she took him to the silver stream. Then she whispered words like he had never heard that made him all shudder inside. When she said, Wham, wham, bam, gonna make you my man. Wigwam Bam, interestingly enough, was the first song the band played their own instruments on. Really? Yeah. So they, they made it all the way through then. So they were together the, the final four, three years before they got to play their own instruments on a, a single. <laughs> wow. Uh, Barroom Blitz in 73 is, is probably the one best known. Oh, yeah. One of the first ones I really knew what it was. I uh, hit number one in Canada, number two in the UK and Norway, five in the USA, a lot of others. But it was also covered by The Damned, whose member Lemmy of Motorhead was, was in there. Their single, Blockbuster, came out in 73. Good song. The thing I like, that, 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 that's not so much I like. The thing that's neat about it is that it beat out Bowie's Gene Genie to be on the top of the charts. Oh, nice. Yeah, tough to do. So that's how good they were. They're beating out David Bowie. Uh, the song Jody mentioned earlier, Fox on the Run, which is also one of my favorite singles, uh, yes. was the first non-Chinachap hit from, from 75. So this was the first hit written by the actual band and not Chinachapman. And you can tell uh, there's usually a difference between the stuff that Chinachap did and the stuff that the band wrote themselves. They're, they're, the stuff the band wrote themselves actually starts going more towards hard rock and even maybe some proto-metal thing I really like about this is that it was written by the actual band members and it was their biggest selling single also. It actually sold better than Ballroom Blitz.
did not know that. Indeed, yeah. Hit number one in Australia, Denmark, Germany, South Africa. Hit number two in the UK and Norway. Hit number five in the States and a, a lot of others, but those are the, the bigger. Yeah. Beans covered it. Uh, Ace Freely covered it. Yes, and I do like Ace's version. I, I would definitely, if, if given the option, I'm going to listen to the original. But I do like Ace's version. I thought he did a pretty good job. Not so much with the harmony vocals. <laughs> Just, you know, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's still, uh, Ace still rocked it pretty good. So, uh, Another Kiss connection, not just Ace, but Eric Singer covered it too. I did not know that. And uh, their, their last hit was 1978's Love is Like Oxygen that we mentioned, written by Andy Scott, member of the band, and Trevor Griffin, who had connections with the band, um, although not a member of the band. So the last song I want to mention, I, I don't think was a single and I actually don't care much for, but it was a song Man from Mecca, and is about John Chapman, Chapman, <laughs> John Chapman, who ran the Portsmouth Mecca venue, and he had banned the suite for them being the most disgusting performance I've seen in 11 years. <laughs> Really? So, yeah. So, they, yeah, he he banned them and they wrote a song. <laughs> <laughs> kind of getting towards the end there. So, Love Is Like Oxygen in 78 was her last hit. Uh, but back in 74, the end was starting already. Uh, Connolly was attacked by three guys. Supposedly, he had been being followed by these three guys and they, they waited for him. Uh, he got out to, to grab something at a store and they attacked him. And they actually kicked him in the throat, which damaged his vocal cords. And they, yep. they think he did it on purpose because he overheard one of them saying that should do the job. Whether yeah. it's because he got kicked in the throat and for singing or it's just, I mean, these guys were getting as many groupies as possible. That's what Box on the Run was about. But they loved going out and picking up whoever they could as much as possible. So it could have been a pissed off boyfriend. I mean, there's, there's nothing more. Yeah, um, but because of his damaged vocal cords, he started drinking really heavily. Uh, they they were actually about to support the Who in May, so there's connection to the Who. Mm -hmm. But they they didn't get a chance to because of the attack, so that that got canceled. But they were still doing fairly well later uh, during '78, their closing night of the U.S. tour. Richie Blackmore took the stage with them. Nice. And in '78, they opened for Bob Seger and also supported Alice Cooper and Foghat. Awesome. Yeah, so they're, they're doing really well. But in 78, he was, Connolly was doing really, really bad. Um, so bad that Andy Scott actually tried to get him fired and wanted to replace him with Ronnie James Dio, who had just left Rainbow and before he joined Black Sabbath. Wow. Uh, okay, I've just, I cannot see that actually happening. I mean, I could see Andy wanting to do that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's Andy wanting to do it. But I that, can't see, I just can't see Ronnie doing that. I don't know how that would have worked. I can't wrap my head around that. Who knows? I mean, the way they wanted to play, maybe he would have pushed. They, they were good musicians. so they, they were, Oh, yeah, they were. They were really good. I'm just trying to think the, the style of lyrics that Ronnie wrote. Yeah, I, I think he could fit in just about anywhere, but I'm glad he took the trajectory he did. I, I am, too. But yeah, that yeah. Now I'm kind of curious. That would have been a really interesting thing to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, that's who Andy Scott wanted to get. Yeah, I don't think it even got to the point where everybody else said no. Uh, Connolly's staying here, so yeah. too bad. And yeah, I don't think it went any further. That's just who he wanted. There, there is. A, I do know that there is a connection with the Runaways. Jackie Fox 
went out a few times with one of the guys in suite, but I don't remember which one. Well, me. And, and I'm, I think she actually was still underage at the time. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> but um, what are you going to do when? <laughs> which, which was probably another reason it didn't go real far. What, what are we talking about? Jimmy Page and Lori Maddox? What? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, so we're getting to the end of this, and there are just a couple of really neat things that I kind of want to throw in before I wrap it up with with how the band actually broke apart. But during this time in '78, just to give you an idea of what the band was like and their sense of humor and how they minced about on stage, they had a six foot tall penis stage prop that had huge colored veins and a 1,000 watt light bulb inside to light it up that sprayed confetti on the audience. And of course, you know where the confetti came from. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know, it's, it's great. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking two things. Guar <laughs> and Ramstein. See, and there, see, things start further back than people think. Well, it's, a, it's awesome. It's never been done. Yes. Yes, it has. It has. You know who did it before the suite? Probably Caligula. Get over it. <laughs> so it wasn't a fake penis. It was somebody's penis who he lopped off. And... <sighs> okay. Well, anyway. I got to get off that tangent. <laughs> yeah. yeah let's, let's not start talking about Caligula. <laughs> uh, although... <laughs> That'd be a good episode. <laughs> and and that would be a combination of the actual emperor and the penthouse movie. <laughs> Starring Roddy McDowell. Was it Roddy or was it the other McDowell? No, it is Roddy, yeah. Clockwork okay. Orange, Roddy yeah. McDowell, yeah. Yep. yeah. So Connolly left the band in 79, and a big part of this was because of his drinking. And again, his drinking was from his throat injury. He actually had hung out with Keith Moon a lot, so there's another connection. <laughs> there's, and there's another reason why he was drinking a lot. <laughs> big reason he's drinking a lot. And I mean, the, the whole band drank a lot. They actually had their own concoction called the Benny Buzz, which was a mixture of Benadryl, Inhaler, and Coca-Cola. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, I guess it helped get them through shows, and it also helped with, with disappointments when their songs and albums wouldn't do as well as they <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> uh the suite still continued as a three-piece for a while they they still recorded and they even opened for bands like cheap trick so still opening for for huge bands but it didn't last very long they broke up after their last show on march 20th 81 uh, when they played glasgow university uh Connolly, there'd been a lot of times where it bannered around about getting back together and it's it's actually so sad i don't want to talk much about it brian Connolly had been doing so bad it, it's it's not like it's gonna make me cry because i didn't know the guy and i i love the sweet but it's not a big deal but um but he passed away in 97 renal failure which of course the drinking didn't help with uh and and tucker mick tucker passed away in 2002 from leukemia yeah um, but there, there have been re reformations and combinations afterwards with the three of them not Connolly, but tucker before he passed away but in the end uh ended up being steve priest's Sweet playing in the USA because Steve lives in the USA now. And then Andy Scott Sweet, who plays in UK and Europe, they, they actually had a bit of a to-do over Australian dates. Uh, Andy Scott was supposed to play and couldn't, so he backed out and Steve Priest called the promoters and said, hey, you want me to come in and step in because you already promoted the suite? And that made Andy Scott all pissed off. <laughs> I guess they didn't speak for decades, although they, they have, as of when we're recording, actually spoken a couple times. So Nice. 
So two things about Andy Scott to kind of finish this up. One is not very long ago in 2010, he did a commercial for comparing van insurance and you can still find this on YouTube. And he actually does things like oh, in the eighties and he ends up with sweet, <laughs> but it's <laughs> very cheesy. Oh, but it's, that's awesome. It's kind of cool. Just look up Andy Scott van insurance ad and it's easy to find. <laughs> uh, and the final thing that's really neat. So here's the last connection. Uh-huh. Uh, after the suite, Andy Scott went on and he did a lot of things, but he ended up being the second person they tried to use as a producer on Iron Maiden's first album. Oh, if I was cognizant of that, I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so in December of 79, they, I don't have the first guy's name written down because whatever, but he got Candace producer. Andy Scott came in December 79 to work on it. And he was fired because he wanted Steve Harris to use a pick. He <laughs> was like, fuck you. Get the fuck out. No, I, I don't know what he actually said, but nope. Um, I, do, I do have the Maiden biography by Mick Wall. It seems now that, now that you've mentioned it, I do seem to remember that story. Will Malone was the guy that wound up producing it. I know that. He was the guy that wound up producing that album. And Steve was still not happy with the way it turned out. <laughs> We'll talk about that when we talk about Maiden. <laughs> I, I think that's all I have. <laughs> um, yeah. Sounds good to me. Okay. Um, well, in, until next time, I'm James. And I'm Jody. We'll see you later. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. Mm, Reese's Ghosts. Yeah, I had one today. Anything to do with Halloween is better than anything not. Yes. You're not expecting it. Yeah. Like the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> our primary, our two, our... <clears throat> I'm ready whenever you are. <laughs> I'm waiting for you. Oh, it's Spruce. All right, would so... That, would, would that be Spruce Dickinson? Uh, I wonder how many people are going to pause this and go look up Gary Glitter right now. <laughs> I'm going to say three. I, that's I, half I, of our listen. <laughs> uh, Steve Priest from played Blade. Played Blade. I'm not even drunk. I'm on, I'm on the first point. <laughs> that was easy for you to say. <laughs> no. Uh, I'm looking forward to that one. Partially because you'll do more talking. I get to drink. No, I think it's Andy something. Andy Circus? No. That's a completely different person. <laughs> I was excited um, when Robert Plant came out with the Band of Joy album. Uh, and and it turned out to not be ago. the original Band it's of not, Joy. It's not the Band of Joy. It's just Robert Plant <laughs> put together a band and he called it the Band of Joy. And it's not yeah. the Band of Joy. Robert. <laughs> Hobbs Tweedle. <laughs> uh, they had the, uh, Son of a bitch. <laughs> John Chapman from... Damn it. I got to do it again. Sorry. Uh, fucker. <laughs> we were like four disseminated old whores mincing about on top of the pops and turning out computerized pop just being as flash as assholes. <laughs> and there you go. That's right. I'm banging That's an oven queen, funny. bitches.